Van Gogh's girlfriend said when she opened the mail, ooh, it's the end of the year again. Totally Team look back on a dramatic last round of 2018 from another Anfield Amring to more merry elf-like magic from Man U's Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Plus, we nominate our tops and flops for this season so far. It's the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Happy New Year's Eve, listener. Or if you're listening in the future, greetings from far off 2018, where things were different. In today, what was today, in a relative sense, we've got uh, straight out of Opta, Duncan Alexander. Hello, James. International man of microphones, Matt Davis-Adams. Hi, James. And the man who literally puts it in the mixer, because that's the title of a book that he wrote with words, Michael Cox. Hi, James. Greetings to all of you. All right, let's start with the biggie. Does anyone know what day of the week it is? Monday. Exactly. I only know that because I'm here. <laughs> All right, very nice. Uh, later on the phone will be a talking up Rangers' old firm win, uh, which, judging by Friday's phoners, bodes well for Stephen Gerrard's side. Who did we talk about? We had a, a phoner on Leicester, who probably got beaten at home by Cardiff, and we did Spurs, who went down at Wembley to Wolves. Uh, but then there's a lot of that kind of thing at Christmas, isn't there, Matt? There certainly is, yeah. Yeah, it is the season for strange results. Absolutely. Are you expecting further surprises as 2019 begins, Michael? I think the table's pretty much shaken out now, oh, to be honest. I think right. uh, I think now Wolves have got themselves up into seventh, uh, which I think is where they belong. Right. I think this is the kind of final Premier League table to me. Okay. No, I think Michael's right. I mean, Wolves have got, on the underlying numbers, the fourth best defence in the Premier League, and they'll probably soon be the third best defence. So I can't see them, you know, dropping out of seventh. All right. And what about the top two? Are you guys saying that you do not anticipate them swapping places any further? There are, what, seven points between them, but a massive game coming up on Thursday. Yeah. A lot of Liverpool fans are looking for, for hope that their seven point lead at this stage is enough to, uh, to basically guarantee the title. And it is. No team uh, in the Premier League era has been seven points clear at New Year and not won the title. No team in top flight history, if you convert to three points for a win, has ever had uh, 50 or more points and, and not won the league. And Liverpool got 54. So it's all looking good. I mean, as we said on Friday, the fact that they uh, beat Arsenal means that they, they can afford to lose to City now and still have a four-point lead. So it's a good position. And no question they're coming into this in absolutely terrific form. Seven-point gap between the two teams after City got Fernandinho back. And a bit like Mary Poppins, I like to think, he came in and said, what's the mess going on here? And magically put their house back in order. They had a 3-1 win away at Southampton. Liverpool, meanwhile... Did Arsenal 5-1. Here's Iwobi, a promising position this for Arsenal. Coming in there, but the far post to tap it in is Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Arsenal lead at Anfield. The Premier League lead is behind. That was the sound of Arsenal going a goal up at Anfield. Maitland-Niles finishing off Iwobi's sumptuous cross and simultaneously Arsenal having their last shot on target. And this was the sound of what happened next. Five one the final score. Duncan, have you got a stat? Uh, Liverpool resorted to two of the four times in Premier League history that Arsenal have let in four goals before half time. Um, obviously, a, a sage man on Friday pointed out that it was uh, reminiscent to the to the game in 2013-14, and that's how it turned out. Really, I mean, Arsenal scoring was almost the worst thing. Um, they could have done because it, it roused Liverpool into a furious rage and they, they took it out on them. Right. Um, I've got a stat on this game. It's it's the highest scoring fixture in Premier League history now, 155 goals. Uh, I actually only saw the highlights of this. I was on a train at the time, tried to get a stream up on the train. Obviously, train Wi-Fi didn't happen, but the chap next to me saw what I was trying to do, said, oh, I'm an Arsenal fan, showed me his phone when they went 1-0 up without a smile on his face. We'll lose this game 5-1. That's remarkable, isn't it? It's almost like things like this have happened to them before. (laughs) Liverpool, Michael, were awesome. Was there anything fresh in their awesomeness? No, not really. I think it was roughly what we expected. But I think it's interesting that in uh, in the last couple of big games against Arsenal and Manchester United, uh, Klopp has continued with 
Shakira in the front four. And previously at the start of the season, he was kind of coming in for the smaller teams and dropping out when they needed more defensive solidity. But Liverpool just playing so well in the system that he feels like he's got the confidence to play pretty much a, a front four. And uh, they were just relentless, Liverpool. I thought it was... It, to me, you know, to go along with what Duncan said, you know, Arsenal keep on starting badly, Liverpool keep on starting well. It just felt inevitable they'd win the game in the first half. And I think it's notable that both them and Manchester City clearly shut down in the second half because this is a very busy time and they need to conserve their energy ahead of Thursday's game. Absolutely. And Liverpool, you know, so often the team with the best defence wins the title. It's, it's not a new point to say that, you know, Alisson and Van Dijk have been massive for them. But just looking at the goals against, eight in 20 games, that's half as many as the next two, Manchester City and Chelsea. Well, Arsenal conceded as many goals in this match as Liverpool did in October, November and December combined. <laughs> so for me... That's a sign of a good defence. Absolutely. Three of those goals, of course, were to Firmino. He even did a no-look, much like you. He wasn't watching when he scored his his second, Matt. Uh, and then, of course, Salah let him take the penalty. It was a lovely moment. Klopp said he almost cried when that happened. Yes, but he didn't let him take the first penalty, did he? No, and you could argue that having if you get two penalties in a game, it makes sense to have different players take them because often, you know, if a player takes a second penalty in the game, the keeper second guesses him so yeah it was a kind gesture but also a, a good thing to do absolutely and uh, I mean we've invited listeners to suggest their players of the season and Virgil van Dijk's pretty much the kind of plebiscite winner of that but a lot of people suggesting for an underrated man of the campaign so far Wijnaldum okay yeah, yeah. He's been you'll get, get I mean, with he, that. Well, I was at thinking, for thick people like me <laughs> who have not noticed <laughs> this at all. What is it we've been missing? I think he's just—he's a good all-round midfielder. I think he can do pretty much anything. He can attack. He can defend. He can play a little bit wider if needed. And I'm, that's actually a good shout as underrated because when you said underrated, I thought you were going to say Robertson, who's clearly not underrated because everyone knows he's very good. Right, but no. yeah, one Adam probably fits into that category. Okay, uh, Eel Nakmol among the many people. Was he is suggesting? Was he particularly good in this game? I thought he played well because, uh, you know, like I say, they're only playing two central midfielders now. And I thought uh, Fabinho had a dodgy start. I mean, he's, he's weird. He's very hot and cold. He, he either is, has really yeah. good games at the moment or, or really bad games. But um, he's quite good in the air. He wins a lot more aerials than, than Wijnaldum. So I think depending on the opposition, Fabinho can shine in different matches. OK. Uh, there was a nice line from Bill Edgar in the Times today. Uh, Jurgen Klopp, should Liverpool win the league, will be the tallest manager to win the top flight of English football since the Second World War, but the one with the shortest name since 1984. And Joe wow. Fagan. Better up your game there. <laughs> that is a good start. I know Billy, he's a nice man, so I'm happy right. for him too. Okay, there's plenty of room in Statland, yeah. isn't there? Yeah. Great. Uh, now, can we start slamming Arsenal? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Licksteiner's performance, how reminiscent was it? Is, was it a Gary Neville? Uh, against West Brom New Year's Day 2011 levels, you know, the, the game that basically forced him to retire. No, I wouldn't go that far. I mean... It was pretty bad, though. It was, but he was playing against Mane, who was really sensational. I can't remember who Gary Neville was playing against, but it wasn't a side He was... OK, I can quote from his, his book, actually. He says, at half-time against West Brom, I was staring at the toilet door and all my worst fears were coming true. I was making Jerome Thomas look like Ronaldo. Ah, Jerome Thomas, OK. Yeah, he was very quick, but he wasn't Sadio, Sadio Mane in this kind of form. I thought Mane was the best player in the, in the first 20, 25 minutes. I know he wasn't. He only got one of the five goals, but I thought he was the one who really took the game to Arsenal. But yeah, Arsenal just shambolic at, at the back. They've got so many injuries. And the problem is, I think Mustafi and uh, Socrates is possibly their first choice centre-back partnership now. And I, I don't like either of them. And they don't play well together because they're kind of similar and they get themselves into similarly difficult situations. So, yeah, I think generally defensive organisation as a unit is is more important than individual brilliance. But when you see how much Van Dijk's made an impact, you do think Arsenal will have to sign another defender at some point. One more thing on Arsenal. They've now gone 20 away games at big six clubs without a win, which is almost David Moyes-esque. Right. So, you know, it's kind of, you know illustrative of how much they've struggled over the last few years and it's something that Emery for all the good he's done and reorganisation this season um, there's still a lot of things to sort out Absolutely, he, he still really doesn't know what his plan is in the final third I appreciate he's going to chop and change between games but Arsenal have used almost every system under the sun this season there's still a question mark about Aubameyang and Lacazette I think they like playing alongside each other but I'm not sure the balance with the rest of the team works Ozil was out again with the uh, you know, another mysterious ailment. Uh, Aaron Ramsey was starting as the number 10, despite the fact there's speculation he could move on and uh, move on as soon as as this January. 
he's done a decent job in terms of results, but I'm not sure he's any closer to really working out what the, the long-term plan is, to be honest. OK, Aubameyang uh, in this game, 13 touches, almost half of which were from kickoffs, and an astonishing miss in front of an open goal. Yeah, I, th- I think it was flagged offside, which it was, is... But... It's always nice to see the relief on the striker's face. It doesn't <laughs> matter, after all. All right, well, Arsenal have a trip to Craven Cottage. Oh, no, they're at home to Fulham. Uh, that's on Tuesday. Is that a game that Mesut Ozil's allowed to play in? It's the type of game that very much would suit him. The last time he started a home game was at home to Burnley, where he played one of the best passes of the season so far. And it's strange because it's only two months ago since he was fantastic against Leicester. Um, everyone was saying this is the best Ozil's ever played for Arsenal. So it was arguably the performance of the season, individually. <laughs> yes. It was absolutely brilliant. And then, yeah. Well, that's coming up on Tuesday. As we mentioned before, though, Thursday at the Etihad is an absolutely huge one as Liverpool visit Man City. Let's just take a second to collect our thoughts and then go in hard on that one. You're listening to The Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Thursday at the Etihad, Matt, some say it means nothing to look at recent results, but I'm going to... OK, there was a, a nil-nil when they met at Anfield in October. Last season, City with a 5-0 win after Mane got sent off, but very much an asterisk against that one. But in broad terms, Liverpool beat City three times last year and in Klopp's first season, another two times, 4-1 and 3-0. He really does seem to have City's number. Why is that, do you think? Why, why does Pep struggle so much with Klopp, Michael? I think a combination of the fact that Klopp has become a very good tactician. He has plenty of practice of facing Guardiola in Germany and I think his, he adapts his systems well. But that would help both men. Yeah, I, I tend, I could be wrong. I tend to think when there's lots of matchups between two managers, it tends to have a leveling effect, if that okay. makes sense. Um, and also Liverpool, I think, are quite good at conserving their energy for big games. As I said, they did it against Arsenal. That's been a big factor in their improvement over the last eighteen months. They don't play every game at 100 miles an hour, and then when they, you know, really need to in a game like this, I think they're capable of it. Okay, Crystal Palace could beat City. Uh, Lots of other teams beat City. Chelsea, who's the other one I'm thinking? Leicester beat City. Pep's never lost consecutive home league games in his entire career. So that could happen. Um, I mean, as we said earlier, Liverpool can afford to lose this game. And then they've got, uh, I think, five games against lower teams coming up after that. Um, and they've got a 100% record against teams outside the big six this season. So it's it's such a good position for Liverpool to be in. They can almost wait and see what City do in that game. You know, As Michael said, they don't... They don't have to come out firing on all cylinders anymore. Right. They can uh, save that up. Uh, they probably will, though. They, they probably will. What about Man City? What's the best way for them? Uh, this question from Zubar, what approach should they take? What's the best chance of defeating Liverpool? Well, I mean, they have to go for it. I'd say Liverpool may be in a slightly more difficult position in that they, they don't, you know, what's their approach to the game? Is it to get a draw, which is not really in their nature, or is it to go and win it? So that could, that could play into City's hands. I think you'll just see classic... Pep home performance, not one of late, as in um, go for it straight from the off. I think it's, City's injury problems really been underplayed. You mentioned Fernandinho. Right. I was looking at it this morning. It's still only one Premier League start for De Bruyne, obviously, which came at Leicester. Aguero's only played 90 minutes four times in the Premier League. Mendy's out at the moment. Silva's just come back. You kind of say, well, you know, they've got infinite depth to their squad, but you're talking about world class players in every position there, and maybe. They haven't actually been been let off the hook in the way that other other teams and managers would be in that. Well, here's a, here's a related question from Mustafa Al Rawi. He says, uh, "Man City getting back to winning ways is it all down to people like Fernandinho returning, or is it just that they played a series of teams who were good on the counter who caught them out? Southampton this weekend were not able to do the same. Liverpool certainly would be able to, Michael. Yeah, I mean they did lose two. Games, both which featured truly incredible long-range goals. Uh, there's no doubt that their level has slipped over the last month, but I think two, defe- uh, two defeats was slightly unfortunate for them. I think the key here really is City's left-back position. You know, they've, they've had Mendy out injured for a while. Delph, who I don't think is an ideal compromise, uh, is suspended. And they're playing Zinchenko there. I mean, he really struggled against Southampton, I think. I don't really understand Zinchenko. It's a weird situation. It's this guy who's, you know... a, a youngish attacking midfielder I can't ever see him becoming a regular for City and his only job seems to be third choice left back it's I, I don't really understand what his role at the club is mm. and to contradict myself from earlier 
I think this is a game where Klopp might go back to the 4-3-3. One, because I think they'll need numbers in the centre of midfield against City's passes. And because City's weakness is left back, right. you think probably putting Salah out there to run it, Zinchenko or whoever, will probably be a, a favourable approach. All right, Zinchenko had a, a rotten time of it yeah. against um, against Southampton. Beaten for the for the, for the the Southampton's goal, mm-hmm. a fabulous goal it was too. And then, to be fair, it looked like he gave away a penalty, no? I think... It probably wasn't a penalty, but it wasn't the most convincing piece of fullback play I've seen. Right. Uh, he did get an assist for Aguero's goal. He's a good passer, but against Salah or maybe Shakiri, but I think Salah, I think he could really struggle. Okay. Is this is this a title decider in the sense that if City lose, Liverpool are gone? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. If it's yeah. 10 points, you can't see City making that up, certainly. Yeah, agree. Teams just don't drop points anymore. I mean, it's interesting, Duncan's statistics about, you know, having a margin of... Of 10 points or whatever, but a lot of those seasons were when the title winners would get 80, 82 points. I mean, City got 100 points last year. Liverpool are roughly on course for that. And that means you only drop about 14 points all season. So we'd be in a situation where even if City won every game from now, chances are I'm not sure that they would catch Liverpool. Extraordinary. Extraordinary. OK, that's coming up on Thursday. Do you want to make a prediction? I think Liverpool might do it, actually. You sound surprised about that. They've got a terrific recent record against City. Yeah, but I think they'll probably start as the underdogs, won't they, in the in, in the in the betting. Um, but I think they could win 2-1 or something. I think it's going to be quite similar to the Champions League second leg last season, where City came out and, you know, absolutely battered Liverpool for, for the first half. And Liverpool just about hung on and obviously then went on to win that game. Um, and I think the first the first 30 minutes is going to be crucial. Right. be interesting to hear what the man sat next to you on the train the weekend <laughs> thinks is going to happen. Yeah, I'm going to say 3-3, high-scoring draw. OK. Yeah. Bingo. All right, that's on Thursday. Now, before any of that, the new year kicks off January 1st with a lunchtime mid-table clash between Everton and Leicester. Then you've got Arsenal-Fulham and then a tea-time sizzler between Cardiff and Spurs, which I'm really looking forward to. Cardiff, who just had a win at Leicester. A Leicester side who beaten Chelsea and Man City back-to-back prior to this. Um, please explain. This is the Claude Puel inconsistency matrix as a, in its finest glory. I mean, he, he can't win three games in a row. Um, he, you know, this was his chance to win three games. He did at the start of his Leicester career, but since then he's done... It's a two- shame because that's just ruined. Well, yeah, but he's won two in a row loads of times and he gets right. the third game. And, you know, to beat Chelsea and City and then lose at home to Cardiff is, um, is classic. I mean, you know, is, isn't it the Neil Warnock matrix... Well, it was Warnock's first away win in the Premier League since 2014, so wow. it'd been a while. Um, yeah. uh, but you know, he's obviously delighted with it. Although he did, he was still complaining after the match in classic Neil Warnock thing, wasn't it? Yeah, complaining about the penalty decision. <laughs> lovely, lovely old uncle, uh, Uncle Cole. Uh, it was Neil Etheridge was the key in this game, as okay. he has been in recent weeks. For me, I saw um, Cardiff at Watford. They lost three two, but they they should have been about six 0 down. He looks like a a really, really good goalkeeper. And they've still got him for a bit, but he's going to the Asian Cup. Oh, he is going to go, is I he? I think so, yeah. Because they the talked about the fact that Sven hadn't called him up for that, for I the Philippines. He was, was he not just given, a, he, he's coming later? Yeah, well, that would make sense, because I, I, I was puzzled as to why, how many great keepers they might have in the Philippines. Mm. Someone, sure. it, yeah, Louis Swallow, I think, is, is possibly, is this the one you're going to mention? Yeah, yeah who pointed out that his three save penalties this season, which is very impressive, have all been from players who share a name with a former US president, Wilson, Kennedy and Madison. Trump that. <laughs> and Cardiff also have a higher percentage than most of absolutely crazy wonder goals. Camaraza uh, with, the, with the contribution this time around, Michael. Yeah, it was a brilliant goal. And, and, you know, last minute away from home, first away win of the season. I can't imagine there'll be many more kind of jubilant celebrations. I quite like watching Cardiff, actually. They've got a lot of players who just try things I'm not sure they're completely capable of which is quite fun to watch this time it came off and their other approach is just relentless uh, long throws Sean Morrison I think if if football was just about winning headers inside the box I think Sean Morrison would be up there with Andy Carroll was my first pick well Sean Morrison's got the highest xg figure of any player who hasn't scored this season and that is basically <laughs> from a lot of headed chances in the box he was uh, he was quite amusing on twitter about Six years ago, Sean Morrison, he used to review breakfast cereals mm. 
which was like actually quite well written and quite funny. Really? Okay. Mm. What was this? Did, did he ever have? We're a going back a long way, I'm afraid now, but uh, it did make you want to kind of get a variety back and just experience. The what was higher, then. sugar puffs or frosties? I'm afraid I couldn't recall the re- results. I'm afraid, but they might still be there. It's, it's the kind of thing that might be deleted by now, to be honest. But it was good fun. Uh, Neil Lethbridge, by the way, he's not going to the Asian Cup. He, he'd rather play in the Premier League, he's decided. He took oh. himself uh, out of uh, Sven's selection criteria and moaned that the competition is in January. So Cardiff's benefit, I suppose. Absolutely. What, what a clearance slash tackle from Sol Bamber after Ooh. the penalty save. Mm. Goodness me. Yeah. As good as a goal. Absolutely. OK, so well, what are Sol and, and the rest of them's chances then? Tuesday tea time at home to Spurs. Spurs, who themselves after scoring 11 goals in two games, went and lost to Wolves. Yeah, well, I think Cardiff, reasonable at home in recent weeks, but they've been handily beaten by Manchester United and Manchester City in home games, and you'd imagine Spurs will be um, sore after after their defeat against Wolves. Although Spurs have had the, the fewest rest days between games of any team yeah. over this period, only eight, and that's that was obviously a factor in, in the game. Short at squad Wembley. as well. Yeah, quite. You know, Are they going to dip into their into their reserves in January. They've got Tramere in the FA Cup on Friday night as well. So it really is a really tight turnaround in terms of games for them. Um, but I would still I would still back them to win this based on when top six or big six teams have, have gone to Cardiff so far this season. They, they've tended to win pretty convincingly. OK. How did Wolves win this game? Uh, the one at Wembley? Well, I thought the key factor was bringing on Moutinho at half-time. I mean, it's the obvious thing to say because they're 1-0 down at half-time and 1-3-1, but... He's just got wonderful balance and wonderful, you know, always seems to have a lot of time on the ball. He's a player who Tottenham have tried to buy quite a few times over the years. I think there was one incident in 2012 where they had the paperwork through, but it was a minute late or something like that. But he was excellent. I think his partnership with Neves is is really good. Um, I thought it was a funny performance from Tottenham. They just kept on shooting from long range. They, They had about eight efforts, one of which went in from Harry Kane. But they didn't really create another chance after that because every time they got to about 25 yards out... They just kept on putting the trigger when sometimes those players are in better positions. And that's how a lot of goals, their goals have come in recent weeks. But it tends not to be sustainable. If you concede three, you're not going to win a game by shooting relentlessly from long range. Absolutely. Uh, Muccini, by the way, earning a nod as our uh, underrated player of the season so far from Jamie Hawkins, who says you don't need legs. It proves you don't you do need, legs need legs. Well, Neves is the legs, I think. That's, that's the nice thing about the, the balance. The okay. um, the Harry Kane goal, which was very good, uh-huh. um, that puts him into 21st place for left-footed goals in Premier League history, which given that he's right-footed and only 25, is quite impressive. That is impressive. I think he could pro- probably get into the top three or four by the end of his career if he stays in England. Who is top, Duncan? I'm going to guess Robbie Fowler. Correct. Yeah. And then Van Persie. So they're probably out of reach, but I think, mm. yeah. He could start taking penalties with his wrong foot. It's a wonderful finish from Wolves. Three goals in the, in the, in the final 20 minutes or so. Spurs are completely stopped by this point. Is that right? Was that fatigue then? That, that, that seems to speak to... Yeah, certainly looked that way. I mean, another shout for underrated player was certainly by me. Um, I got him wrong. Raúl Jiménez, ah. six goals already at this point. He's he's been involved in ten of Wolves' twenty-three. We wondered if you know he, they, and he had the firepower to kind of get them up to to seventh place. But he's been just as key for them as as Neves and Moutinho certainly in the last couple of months. Wolves right. are funny because I mean everyone tipped them to do well at the start of the season. They had that little dip in the autumn, but they're the only team outside the big six to average more than a point a game against the big six team. So hmm. they really are the kind of best of the rest, and they're starting to show that now. Okay, seventh their natural position where they are now says Michael Cox. John Mannering says moment of the season for Spurs fans will probably be the three magical days they were in the title race, and he nominates uh, Doherty for unsung hero. We'll have more of that kind of thing later on. Excellent Wolves Palace, as you say, on Wednesday. Arsenal-Fulham, though, on Tuesday. Another game that I'm looking forward to. We'll speak more about Palace later on, because I know you saw them this weekend, Matt. Certainly did. But Arsenal-Fulham, that three o'clock game on January the 1st. Fulham, welcome to the new-look Cottagers. Just one goal conceded in three uh, against Arsenal, who are effectively the new Fulham. I mean, shipping goals all over. What's going to happen here? Um, I don't think Abubakar Kamara is going to play. I can tell you that much um, for certain. Cla- Claudio Ranieri, very cross with him, having taken the, the penalty off Mitrovic. Some talk actually today that he might sell him. I thought you were going to say sound. kill him, because that's what <laughs> yeah. Claudio... Well, it'd be ironic, wouldn't it? Because he wears number 47 because his initials are AK. 
Kamara. AK-47. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and he shot himself in he the foot. He shoots really. indiscriminately. Yeah. Right. <laughs> wow. So I did was... enjoy Alan Shearer's genuine anger on Match of the Day at the fact that uh, he'd taken the penalty off Mitrovic. You know, the he, he could empathise with that, I think. Well, Michael Owen on BT Sport was asked whether anything similar had happened to him, and he said he couldn't remember it. But if he read uh, The Mixer, History of the Premier League, he'll remember that in 1997, Danny Murphy tried to take a penalty off him away at Wimbledon on the first day of the season. Did he? Michael Owen shrugged him aside and uh, dispatched the penalty. And if he'd read outside the box, he'd have learnt that's the only penalty in Premier League history taken by a non-adult. Because he, <laughs> he was younger than 18 at the time. <laughs> I see. Uh, books, <laughs> listeners. Uh, right. Uh, that, anyway, was after Kamara went over and demanded that... Oh, no, had, did he go over? Did he provoke a handball? It was a handball. Handball. A funny handball. Mm. Yeah. But it was a handball decision, yeah. And then he basically kept hold of the ball. Mitrovic, the designated penalty taker, came up to, to, to take it and was waved away. Mm. Uh, it's not easy. It's hard to shrug Mitrovic off, I'm thinking, but Kamara did a good job of it. Yeah. Mitrovic then appealed to the bench, hands aloft, but magnanimously went up and kissed Kamara on the head before he took the kick or perhaps whispered in his ear I knew it was you Fredo I'm not sure <laughs> uh, Kamara then makes a total hash it was a terrible penalty kick it was bad it's pretty much the worst place you can put a penalty isn't it but he's had quite a good impact in recent weeks Kamara I mean he came on at Newcastle he finished a goalless draw but he was the biggest threat in the last 10 minutes and I think away at Arsenal who do leave spaces at the back and have this problem at fullback I think he's the kind of player that they could do with to be oh, honest alright okay well, we'll see what punitive measures Ranieri uh, brings in. It, it was all okay because that lovely uh, winner from uh, Mitrovic just uh, just in stoppage time at the end of the game. What what relief all round? Yeah, he was just constantly involved, Mitrovic. I mean, I, I think I'm right in saying he's had more shots than any other player. Um, a lot of them with his head, but I think he showed good energy and it was a good time of run to to make that run in the final minute. Um, I, he I had, think he had 39 degrees fever apparently. Really? Apparently okay. so. Yeah. Well, that was such a key goal because it moves them to within a point of safety. But at the same time, it might have finished off Huddersfield. I mean, seven defeats in a row in December. They've only got 10 points. They're already five points adrift. They don't have anybody who can score goals. They're not an attractive proposition for players to go to in January. It looks very, very difficult for them to get out now. They've got Burnley next. That's huge. Burnley also in the bottom three, but five points clear of them. So, yikes. Uh, what are Fulham's chances against the Gunners? It was 5-1 at Craven Cottage to Arsenal earlier this season. Yeah. With, with not out the out of the equation that they could take a point in a sort of one of those games at the Emirates where Arsenal struggles to break teams day, down. It's New Year's Day, isn't it? When yeah. weird things happen. Yeah. It will start slowly. I mean, a combination of Arsenal starting slowly and the atmosphere when everyone's going to be hungover and miserable, you know. I think it will get yeah, it will take a while to get going. Will Licksteiner play? don't think they've got many other options. Could maybe move Maitland-Niles back. Um, they probably won't want Licksteiner playing another game in such a short period of time. But it's almost like uh, Emery's having to choose the formation just based upon which players are available. You know, right. they're, they're really struggling at the back. Duncan, you'll know this, but Fulham have never won an away game against the Gunners. Mm. Claudio Ranieri's never won a game against Arsenal in the Premier League. Is that right? Yeah, he's got a really good record against some clubs like City, but against Arsenal he's always struggled. That was the weird thing about Leicester's title, because obviously Arsenal came second, but they lost home and away to Arsenal, didn't they? So against the other teams in the league, they were about 16 points better off than Arsenal, which is just one of the many odd things about that season. I'm quietly confident about Fulham's chances. I, I don't know why. Ignorance, probably. But it just feels right. We'll see anyway. Before that, as I mentioned, Everton taking on Leicester. Everton, who... I've had three defeats in four. Yeah. Yeah, same amount of points as this stage last season when they were in crisis and pressing the big sand button. Ah, Christmas. The time of generosity. Great food, terrible television, even worse jumpers and a packed Premier League fixture list. And nobody does generosity at Christmas like Paddy Power. We're giving money back as a free bet on at least one game in every round of fixtures. Nobody's going to be paying out as much this Christmas. Except maybe Man United. You'd be a turkey to bet anywhere else. Paddy Power. Enough of that nonsense. Applies to first bet on all. Losing goal scorer, correct score and what odds Paddy bets on the match. Max refund £10. T's and C's apply. 18 plus. BeGambleAware.org. On Spotify, smart speaker and podcast platforms everywhere, this is the Totally Football Show from Muddy Knees Media. This weekend saw old firm action. Stevie G's Rangers beating Brendan Rodgers' Celtic 1-0. Tom Clancy's Ryan Jack scoring the game's only goal. 
which brought Celtic to their first defeat to Rangers in 13 meetings. How long is 13 meetings in Scottish football? Do you know, Duncan? Two weeks. <laughs> no, don't be disrespectful. It's two and a half years in Scottish football time. Was there much celebrating? Will this now slip? Well, let's find out a little bit more from uh, JJ Bull of the Toady Scottish Football Show and the Daily Telegraph. Well, it was a, a pretty intense old firm game. Also the best I've seen Rangers play in years and years and years. They really turned up for this one. Celtic didn't. It was really quite odd to watch. Like I don't know really what Celtic didn't turn up to do. They, they came up there, Rangers just came at them from the very start. They were relentless, they pushed really high, they gave them a single bit of time on the ball. Uh, Celtic were trying to play out from the back, they couldn't do it because Rangers were just at them. And then you could hear the, the roar of the eyebox crowd was really right behind them and they absolutely deserved to come away with that win. I mean, it was only 1-0 for a long time and it could easily have gone the other way. It was like There was a couple of bits later on. Callum McGregor scored a goal that would be an equaliser, but it was just offside. And that would have been quite a quite a funny way for that game to have gone. It's like one of those video games that you're absolutely dominating. Like you're playing football manager or something and you get a, you know, you've got 20 shots on goal and you still draw one all or something like that. Yeah, it was fantastic. It was really good fun to watch, actually. Stephen Gerrard, he's not as universally popular as many may think. Will he only get the, the recognition from from the Scottish fans if he does deliver the title? And is that achievable? It's kind of weird because Rangers are clearly much better this season than they were last, but they've also spent quite a bit of money, so they've got better players. So economically speaking, uh, they should they should be second. You know, they're doing very well, and I think Steven Gerrard's brought a kind of change of mentality to the to the club, which they've needed. They are acting more like the team that expects to win rather than one that's. Um, it's hard to really say, but there's just more about them. I mean, his job really is to finish above Celtic. I can't see how that's possible because the the gap in um, in money that Celtic have is massive. So that's one obstacle overcome. But also the players have been there for ages. They're together as a team for a long time. Brendan Rodgers is a far more experienced manager, knows what he needs, and also they've won uh, they've won seven out of seven trophies. They're not they're not going to go away anywhere. I think if Gerard can get them finishing second. That's quite good. They only made it to the semi-finals of the League Cup. They've got the Scottish Cup coming up that he could do something with. They're out of Europe. I think he's got to get more than one season in, and he should do. But uh, it's a bit of a mad place there, so you can never predict what will happen. And as you like to say on the Totally Scottish Football Show, uh, it's 51% not old firm. Uh, you've just gone into the winter break now. How does the second half of the season shape up? Is it just between the old firm or, or will Kilmarnock have something to say about this? And what about Aberdeen as well? Oh, well, Ben, it's just the best league in the world. Everyone should be watching it. It's a... I mean, Killy, right? I know it sounds stupid, but Killy genuinely are pushing everyone really close. They're taking points off everyone. Um, They're on 41 points, so they're one point behind Rangers and Celtic. They play a really controlled kind of type of football. They're really hard to break down. They don't concede chances and they can score and they've got skill and Steve Clark's done very well with them. Then Aberdeen have been the second best team in the country the last four or five years now. Um, and they're just sitting three points behind Celtic and Rangers. Sure enough, they struggle to when they play, especially in Glasgow, against teams like Celtic and they just lost 4-3 at home to Celtic. That tends to be, I think, because Celtic and Rangers try and raise their game against Aberdeen because they realise they're a threat. You've got Hearts coming back into it now. They're, um, they're are they six points behind Celtic. They could conceivably get back into a, in, in the top three and push for Europe. You can't really predict any game this season, and it's in a good way. It's not that um, it's just random teams punting it and so it becomes a 1-0 to either. Every team has a different style of play, so you sort of know what's going to what you're looking for when the game comes around. But there's also just there's good managers there now and there's good players there. And I just love it. It's just fantastic. JJ Bull there taking time out from preparing for Hootenanny <laughs> to bring us that. There's three points between first and fourth in uh, the Scottish Premiership at the moment and it was 16 last season and 27 the season before that so whether Celtic are getting worse or everybody else is getting better at least it makes it a bit more so interesting So two seasons ago there were 27 points between first and fourth At this stage, yeah Last season it was 16 Yeah, now it's three That's extraordinary More on that kind of thing when the Toady Scottish Football Show returns Glad someone's having a title race Here's SAPB with a big question 
Sting and Christina Aguilera playing Times Square tonight. What's the worst New Year's Eve you've ever had, Michael? I can't remember what I've done on any New Year's Eve. No, you Sounds like you've been good ones, eh? No, no all right. Um, <laughs> producer Ben contributes that the worst New Year's Eve Eve that he can think of was probably enjoyed or not by Mustafi of Arsenal, who fresh from his Anfield humiliation was stood in front of Ben in the checkout queue at a supermarket in Brent Cross at the closing it's time. It's good he was there at the end and not brought off at half-time. So. <laughs> Excellent. Hey, if you want to have a really special New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, Matt, here's a suggestion. Why not tune in for World's Strongest Man, Heat 5, and then the grand final? Grand final is 90 minutes long because it's that big. I'll be there. Yeah, do. Uh, it's on Channel 5, of course. This uh, Monday evening will be the final heat, and it's, an abs- it's the group of death. I mean, they're all big guys, but particularly this group. Absolutely sensational lineup. You've got ooh, Terry Hollands, Mikhail Shivlyakov, you know, the, <laughs> the charming Russian Marine who salutes everybody. You've got uh, Special K Kiliskovsky, who's a robot sent from the future. <laughs> and you've got Konstantin Janashi, who's a lovely bloke from Georgia, but about 18 foot tall, and has these weird bumps on his back that suggests there's some kind of power servos in there. <laughs> What's the best event for the neutral? I was finding like the, the truck pulling, it's, it's interesting for the first couple, but there's a lot of them where, you know, once you've seen a couple of guys do it... Uh, do you mean to all... watch or for their to chances watch. participating? Yeah. For, for me, it's always kettlebell toss. <laughs> I love watching people... It's a great event. I mean, just the name's fantastic, but I love... Do you, are you aware of the kettlebell toss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it, they throw things in the air. It's very visual. Nice. So obviously the truck pull's nice and that, and I did enjoy this year, if you haven't seen it yet, I won't reveal any results, but the arm over arm when they were pulling these these um, they, we, the, these kind of pump, pimped out uh, manila taxis that are kind of minibuses, and they roped two of them together and then put a long rope on the front, and then the fellows had to lie in front of this 25 metres down the road and, and haul them up. With, with the, the minivans were, were essentially loaded with people as well. As the commentator has said, uh, none of them expected to be there. They all thought they were on their way to the airport. But, <laughs> <laughs> sure. um, but anyway, yes, yeah, so I really enjoy that too. But yeah, kettlebell toss. It does genuinely remind me of New Year, actually. World's Strongest Man. Right. So mm-hmm. There you go. Nice. Well, very shortly we'll hear more of your exciting nominations for player, moment and flop of the season so far, and most underrated player, but after you're done watching World's Strongest Man on Wednesday, why not enjoy some of the other games coming up, like Chelsea Saints? Matt Handley, you've just seen Chelsea return to winning ways at Palace. Sure, we had a suggestion before this, that, and this is going to shock you folks, that Chelsea are already into the, the last days of Maurizio Sarri. I think the person was suggesting that they can see Gianfranco Zola holding the Europa League trophy aloft at the end of the season much like Matteo, uh, Roberto Di Matteo did back in the day of course with the Champions League with the big one yeah you're yeah. inside the Chelsea organisation Matt what can you tell us well um, things have certainly turned around in the last last couple of games two away wins at, at Watford and Palace and Chelsea are fourth they, they had to take advantage of Spurs and Arsenal losing and they did that so as long as they're secure in the top four then I don't think there's going to be any change uh, in that regard and, and they could obviously get to the um Carabao Cup final this month as well. Those games against Spurs coming up. So, so where would this notion that that he might not be happy or they might not be happy with him come from? Uh, well, I mean, he lost against Leicester at home. I suppose yeah, it but... could be that. Um, maybe uh, there's some thought that there's no alternative to Sarri Ball, um, which could be something which sees Chelsea come unstuck and maybe has on a couple of occasions this season. I think there's. there's there's a genuine argument to be made that Chelsea do need to find a different way to play during games. I think the last time I was on was in the Spurs defeat and, and it was surprising that they didn't change things during the game then. But but that said, a lot of that in recent weeks, I think, have been highlighted by a dip in form of Jorginho, whether that was people working him out or not. But he was much, much better yesterday uh, against Crystal Palace in what was a, a really poor game. And that, most of that was down to, to Palace. They were they were dire, unfortunately. Didn't have a shot on target in, in the game. I mean, it, Sellers part, they've been the fewest goals of any Premier League ground there this season. Um, but they just didn't lay a glove on Chelsea whatsoever. It's a, it's a daft thing. It sounds like it shouldn't mean anything. But nobody got booked for the home side. They weren't getting anywhere near the Chelsea players. And it was almost one of those... Defeats that we've seen in recent seasons where the opposition manager thinks, well, we're going to lose this game, but if we lose it 1-0, then we're not doing our goal difference too much harm 
came off the back of them drawing nil nil at home to Cardiff. I wouldn't rule Crystal Palace out of any trouble. Well, they're only they're only four points off the drop, and of yeah. course that that Julian Laurent prediction hanging over their heads. This notion of Chelsea finding an alternative to Sarri ball, in as much as we can define Sarri ball, um, do they need new recruits to do that? And if so, who might they be? Are Chelsea going to spend anything in the January sales? Well, Pulisic looks like looks like one that is um, potentially going to get done this month. Obviously, he's not getting as much game time as he was. Uh, for Dortmund, I wouldn't rule out the the Higuain Morata thing, which seems to be doing the rounds as well. Obviously, Higuain did really well for for Sarri in the past, and Morata Chelsea probably ready to cut. Scored their, his first their goal in about him. two months uh, at the weekend. Yeah, well, yeah, but I mean, he's somebody who the managers worked with before. And right. Olivier Giroud got injured in this match and might be out for a while by the look of it. And and Alvaro Morata clearly is is not the person to play in the in the Sarri system. It would appear so. If Chelsea could get Higuain on loan. For the rest of the season, then then it's a it's a no brainer in 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 many ways. No, I mean you've seen him more recently than me, but is it is it not more? A, 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 I think a Milan would be delighted. I, I think Milan would would leap at that. Yeah, because they've got possibly a, with some players coming the other way because they desperately need to make some signings. Don't have any money to do, or at least with financial fair play, which they're battling with at the moment. And there's been lots of talk of Christensen, Cahill and Fabregas all being linked with Milan so I can't see Christensen going uh, but Fabregas obviously is out of contract at the end of the season and I did like the way that he was ruled out of yesterday's game um, with a stiff neck which made me think that perhaps he has had his head turned. Ooh, very nice. Uh, Dan Levine on Twitter saying I'm repeatedly told Sarri Ball is attractive to watch but not when the other team is content not to play, as was the case with Palace. It becomes the footballing equivalent of an overlong drum solo. Warming to his theme, Dan continues, if this had been a gig, there would have been 25,000 at the bar during that first half. Right. Yeah, but, but Angola Kante played well, and, you know, he can play in more than one position. Ed Quoth Raven wants you to talk about Aaron Juan Bissaka as well. He says Eden Hazard spent 90 minutes hiding from him yesterday. Yeah, I wouldn't go that far, but Wan-Bissaka is, is a really good player and he's actually the first player to come from Palace's academy into their first team since 2012, which I think is a remarkable statistic. And in any other era, he would be talked up as an England player already, but he's got Kyle Walker, Kieran Trippier and Trent Alexander-Arnold in the queue. All right, but he's got a double barrel name, which is key to future England call-ups. <laughs> well, I'll keep my fingers crossed in that case. Absolutely, right. Crystal Palace, by the way, and their battles against the potential relegation struggle. Uh, the word is that uh, Solanke is currently having a medical at Selhurst Park. You're nodding like that. that would that be a, a good acquisition or, or loan, rather, I think it, it might be? Yeah, probably a loan. Um, I don't know how good he is, to be perfectly honest, but they just need someone who can play up front. I mean, Benteke has been out injured and has been missing plenty of chances. Connor Wickham came back. I forgot about Connor Wickham, but he was drafted in at the weekend. Um, so they need a centre-forward. It's their obvious problem. Um Palace have basically played quite well over the last year. They've had two issues. Goalkeeper's not good enough. Centre-forward's not good enough. Now they've got Guaita in goal, who's been pretty good. And now they need a centre-forward. Uh, Dom Solanke, I saw him play for Chelsea's youth team for two seasons. He scored 40-plus goals in one of them. Um, he was excellent. He's a real... Uh, Sam Parkin of the Totally Football League show always says he goes cold in front of goal. Uh, Sam was a striker as well. Yeah, so he's dead-eyed. He knows exactly where he's going to put the ball. Fantastic. He he made, I think, a poor career choice in joining Liverpool because he was never likely to get much game time there. It's a big, big risk for Crystal Palace if they're going to bet on somebody who's played a handful of Premier League games and, you know, even when he was Vitesse, he, he, he didn't score freely. So if they're thinking that they're going to put all their eggs in the in the Solanke basket, I would say that that is risky. But he has got pedigree as a goal scorer at, at other levels. But on his own or with Sawloth and Wickham as his backup, he's not going to get it done on his own, I don't You don't think, think so? No. He, he's got the potential to score maybe five, six goals. Is that going to be enough? Maybe well, not. it's more than yeah. Benteke would probably yeah. get, to be fair. I mean, I think putting Zahar back out wide will be good. I mean, he's now gone twelve, uh, sorry, 11 games without a goal or an assist, which is kind of what you... You know, Zaha's supposed to be doing. So, mm. um, yeah, they need something. Also on Wednesday, Newcastle hosting Man United. Now, Man United fans have been particularly vocal with their suggestions of hits and misses of the season so far, and particularly flop of the season so far. Jose Mourinho just inundated with the nominations. Well, the last Manchester United managers keep a clean sheet. It's a bit hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But extraordinary the returns they've had once he made way for 
Uh, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, 12 goals in three, three straight victories. Of course, four put past Bournemouth uh, this weekend. Paul Pogba, no wonder he was on the bench for Jose's last three, with an absolutely stunning performance here. Lovely piece of trolling by him to practice his celebration in the warm-up too. Just imagine Mourinho sat in his um, palatial London apartment uh, watching on fuming at that. He'd have been subbed off immediately, wouldn't he? Right. I don't think Jose would have been watching this. Oh, I think he would. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, definitely. With okay. a warmest scarf on. Yeah. Well, since Mourinho left, Pogba has the most goals, assists, chances created, successful passes, tackles and interceptions for United. Right. So he's doing all right. Lots of love for United's performance here. Jamie O says, did Rashford swivel and step over make anyone else's bum go funny? Certainly did Nathan Ackie's, I suspect. There were so many... <laughs> Great bits to this one move. I mean, first he does Aki, then who's it next that he swivels past? Uh, Rico. Rico. And then the ball he puts in. I mean, mm. it's only a, a couple of metres that it travels, but the enormous swaz he puts on it. Mm. Fantastic. Yeah, it was good. I mean, I was watching this on Sky and Jamie Carragher was making a big thing of the fact he was playing up front, but his best contributions, I think, came out wide. And I don't really understand this insistence that he has to play as a number nine. I mean, when you look at the best players in the Premier League at the moment of this season... Hazard, Salah, Bamiyang, Son, Sterling, they can play wide or they can play through the middle. It's just a natural part of being a, a Premier League footballer now. And I think he's actually got more qualities to play out wide than up front. He's very, very quick. He's got a trick, as he showed. He can cross the ball brilliantly with both feet. He can come inside to shoot. So, listen, I, if, if he becomes a central striker, great. But I don't think there's any shame in becoming a, a top-class wide player like Hazard is or Son is. You know, that's, uh, that's what footballers are now. They look absolutely transformed. When's the first time they're going to play a proper team, though, Duncan? They've got Spurs on the 13th of Jan. Right. So that's at Wembley. So Newcastle next, and then Reading in the FA Cup, and then a, a, a test. Yeah, then a test. I mean, it's it's easy to say they've only played three struggling teams, and you know, Mourinho's United did put four past Fulham, so who's to say they wouldn't have done the same against these teams? But you can't deny that the, the feel-good factor has come back. Would they be title challengers if Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had been there since the start of the season? Well, they're still not very good defensively. You know, they've stu- only Fulham have kept as few clean sheets this season as Manchester United in the Premier League. Okay, I, I imagine City's clean sheets record is more or less similar to United's of late, isn't it? Of late, but overall, I mean, okay. yeah. City have conceded exactly half as many goals as United have. Fair enough. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I mean, the, the funny thing with Solskjaer is it is almost all about the feel-good impact because... If you come in as a manager or a caretaker manager just before Christmas, you don't have any time on the training ground. They won't have worked on anything, really. And the field goal factor is a thing that happens. But what a lot of clubs then do mistakenly is think, well, we've turned the corner. Let's make this manager appointment permanent. And it's, right. not, a, it's not a good long-term prospect. I think Solskjaer for the rest of the season is ideal, but there's no way United are going to appoint him. OK, well, for, for the moment, Man United have moved to just three points off Arsenal in fifth and eight points off the top four. So they are closing in, but tougher tests perhaps await. Newcastle uh, might not be a tough test. Uh, they did, though, draw 1-1 at Watford. So there's that. I mean, Benitez will relish trying to, you know, usurp the Solskjaer feel-good factor. Mm. Um, and there'll be a sort of bittersweet tinge to this game. You know, this game used to be the biggest game in the Premier League. Newcastle v Manchester United was as, was as big as it got. Now it's a sort of, you know... A little curiosity in mid-table, lower reaches. As for Bournemouth, who weren't bad, I didn't think. But well, <coughs> The thing with Bournemouth is they've lost eight of their last ten games. Mm. And Eddie Howe never really gets criticised. You, you think if, Imagine Claude Puel had lost eight of ten. You'd think there would be some knives being sharpened. Yeah, and the two wins that they had in that time were home to Brighton and Huddersfield. So not looking great if he's auditioning for the Spurs job for next they've, season. They've shipped nine in two games, it's true. They face Watford next. A, a win would be very handy there. Looking further down, situation at the bottom. Palace, as we mentioned, four points off the relegation zone. Newcastle and Cardiff, both a point behind Palace. Three points off danger. And then you've got Saints, who are only goal difference outside the bottom three, which is composed of Burnley, who are level on points with Saints. A point behind them, you've got Fulham. And then four points back are Huddersfield. Huddersfield taking on Burnley. This midweek, which is going to be big. And the other game midweek is West Ham Brighton. Brighton just beat Everton 1 0. They've got the best home form of anyone outside the big six. 
Yeah, they're very good at home, although they were disappointing against Chelsea the other week. But they, they seem to have a couple of options up front now, Brighton, where it was always Glenn Murray or nobody. Now they've got Andone, who's a really hard-working player who I like the look of, and Lucardi, who obviously had a really difficult start to the season, has, has scored in his last two matches. Indeed. All right. Hey, well, with the year drawing to a close, let's open up the golden envelopes with the flops, tops and other things of the season so far after this. You're listening to The Totally Football Show, sponsors of Melchester Rovers. Find out more at RoyTheRoversOfficial.com. Matt, you're hosting our Football League show on Wednesday. How exciting is the championship right now? It is absolutely ridiculous, and probably by the time most people will listen to this, something else daft will have happened. There's a full programme of games on New Year's Day. Uh, Forest v Leeds, probably the the standout one there. Uh, But this Saturday, Leeds and Norwich... The top two in the championship, both beaten at Hull. Norwich getting a taste of their own medicine, conceding an injury time winner 4-3 against Derby. Um, it is bonkers, the championship. You hear it, it's a cliche, but it is, you know, it's the reason why it's one of the most watched leagues in Europe. So, yeah, we'll be talking about that, looking back at what's happened over the festive period, and I'll probably try and shoehorn something about Sunderland till I die as well, because I've just finished that. Okay, excellent. Uh, Here's a question from Luke Kempner. He says, we've had the Sunderland and Man City documentaries this year. You were the year before. What's the best football documentary of all time? QPR, the four-year plan, would be mine. It's got that calamitous... Big run manager for me. Okay. Is that a documentary? Yeah. It's kind of more a reality show, isn't it? Well, it was a hybrid, but I think um, seeing Steve Bleasdale reject Stefan Moore to go for Lloyd Apara, um, the unknown non-league striker, remains one of the great moments in modern English football for me. Right. Michael? Yeah, the two Escobars is a very good watch. That is, that's true. Uh, I would also nominate uh, An Impossible Job, the Graham Taylor documentary by the excellent Ken McGill, and whichever documentary Bring Your F***ing Dinner came from. So you, your little I tell you to do something, and you, you fucking big, when I tell you to do something, do it. And if you come back at me, we'll have a fucking right sort out here. All right? And you can pair up if you like, and you can pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Because by the time I'm finished with you, you'll fucking need it. Do you hear what I'm saying or not? You've seen me in the morning. Late Orient Club for a fiver. <laughs> yeah. There you yes, go. magnificent. Excellent. Now, because it's the end of the year, and more importantly, 20 games into the Premier League season, Michael. Yep. Surely the time is right to say who's been the outstanding and the instanding players of the season so far. What's been your special moment of these opening 20 rounds? I've got loads of suggestions from the ever-generous listener. Mm-hmm. Do you want to hear some? Yeah. All right, this is player uh, Van Dyke. Pretty much everyone says Van Dyke. Matt Carpanini said that. Uh, oh, uh, Jarlath Clifford says Andy Robertson. Asim Young Thapa says Eden Hazard because no one's been as important to their team as he is. 19 goals and assists, most dribbles, most key passes per match, second and big chances created. Uh, and Nicol Lau suggests Muchinho, as we mentioned before. But uh, yeah, Van Dyke, would that be your, your shout, Duncan? Yeah, he's pretty much unplayable. Um apart from when he gives penalties away against Manchester City, which you'll hope he doesn't do on Thursday. But yeah, he's been outstanding. Liverpool's record since he signed for them has just been a massive upward trajectory. And uh, there's a bit in the City Amazon documentary, actually, where they, when they buy Laporte and they talk about buying um, Van Dijk and, you know, sort of mention how expensive he is. But I would say that 75 million now looks like a bargain. Mm. Can I nominate Raheem Sterling? Oh, yeah, go on. Yeah, on and off the pitch. Um, some brilliant performances. For club and country, obviously away to Spain for England, but ruthless in front of goal for Manchester City so far this term. And he's, you know, done more to bring about the Daily Mail and the Sun than anybody else. I think he he shows plenty of ruth in front of goal. I mean, I'm not saying he's a bad player. No, I think he's he's, um, got much, much better in that regard in this season alone. You think about the World Cup that he had and the the amount of goals that he scored this season. Mm. I think he's um, really improved that aspect of his game. No question. Uh, What is ruth? I wonder... (laughs) I mean, we've had people explain to us what swashbuckling is, and that was fascinating. But I'd love to know what Ruth was that not having it meant that you basically... Some form of mercy or compassion, I suppose. Mm. Uh, I'd be interested to explore the etymology of that, perhaps in another future episode. Michael, your uh, player of the season so far? Eden Hazard. I think he's fantastic. Yeah. Just every game he he plays, he does something brilliant and, and wins the game for his team. I think he's the best player by miles. Here comes producer Ben, already revealing that Ruth is a feeling of pity, distress or grief. What what language is that from, Ben? Was that Anglo-Saxon or something? 
It's Old Norse. Okay. One of the many things that, that we picked up from our, our Viking settlers. Like Oligona Sosha. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> okay, picture him as a Viking. Yeah. It's a struggle, isn't it? Mm. I picture him sort of making the food below deck or something. Do you think? Yeah. Keeping up morale, keeping people happy. They didn't really happy. have below deck because it was sort of longboat. I don't think they had food so much. They just, you know, fed on their enemies and stuff. All right, I can't imagine him how as a Viking. How much of the Vikings, I mean, the Viking experts will know, but how much of the Vikings' um, fearsome reputation was actually just an incredibly well-managed PR job that, that saved them having to actually do any fighting? I don't know. That Again, that's something for a future totally Viking uh, show. Uh, anyway, right, now, uh, it's some more nominations. Jake Yorth says, uh Van Dyke player of the season. Sanchez, undoubtedly, the flop. And Don's 83 says, player and flop of the season so far is Pogba. Interesting, that. Who sent that Pogba one? Was it uh, at JM London, by any chance? That's right. Oh, thank <laughs> uh, Most underrated nominations already for Wijnaldum, Muccino. How about Doherty? Yeah, I'm going to say Mark Albrighton, having seen him live recently. I think he's such an excellent crosser of the ball and somebody who was discarded by Aston Villa in 2014 and uh, has had a really excellent Premier League career and doesn't seem to get mentioned much. Okay. This one might fall into Michael's actually they're not underrated because people have been talking about it system. But um, Ryan Fraser at Bournemouth has been consistently one of the most creative players all season. And, um, you know, his kind of slight slowdown recently has coincided with their bad form. Well, also the uh, the, the, the explosion of David Brooks, mm. who's who's I think now getting rated, but might well fall into that category. Otherwise, uh, Jarmageddon says most improved player in the history of football has to be Musa Sissoko. Yeah. Not yeah, no, he, he's, he's improved from last year to, to this year, certainly. Um, but he has been a good player before, kind of thing. He's kind of returned to the kind of player we expected okay. the £30 million signing to be, if that makes sense. Who who would you have as your most underrated player of the season so far? Philip Billing of Huddersfield. Really? I just think he's... Like Huddersfield are really not very good. They don't have very good players. They don't have much of an attacking plan. But he has got two things. He can shoot incredibly powerfully from long range and he's got a massive long throw. Right. And his name doesn't quite rhyme. What would you call that? Philip Billing? Is it like assonance or something? Phil Bill. Yeah. Phil Bill too. And he plays for the team at the bottom of the league. Right. So he's just got all the factors that make him quite fun for the kind of last game of the match of the day. Oh, God, I'm going to have to watch Huddersfield. He just does funny things. Well, yeah, indeed, as he did this uh, this weekend against Fulham when his swing and a miss set up Fulham for the counter-attack, which basically cost Huddersfield the match. <laughs> he's just really good fun. I don't know if he's good or not, but I just really enjoy his presence in the Premier League. That's nice. Good. All right, how about your moment of the season so far, Matt? Do you want uh, some nominations? Uh, yeah, go on then. Moo getting sacked, that was mine. Yeah, yeah, okay, that's mine too. Okay, so, yeah. uh, Mark Harris and a bunch of other people saying Andros Townsend's goal against Man City. Yeah, still thinking about that. I'd say Edin Hazard's at Anfield in mm. the Carabao Cup is, is was a pretty mm. special moment as well. Okay, Mares is miss. A lot of people nominating both Mares, Liverpool fans, I guess. Mares is miss and Origi's goal against Everton. Moments that effectively might be where the season could Pivotal have turned. Moments. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The Mares one. I think it's funny because I think a lot of people have forgotten about that. Um, but yeah, City with a penalty at Anfield with five minutes to go. Penalties have an XG value of about 78% um, and they gave that penalty to a man whose uh, conversion rate of penalties is under 60% which is not ideal. Right. Um, Guardiola claimed he didn't know that beforehand but uh, yeah I mean if it looks like Liverpool are going to win the league handsomely but if they win it by a couple of points that really will be the moment the title was won. Right. Uh, Sam Carney mentioning Origi's late winner, Chris Gross too, moment Klopp hugging Allison and all Liverpool fans going, oh, Origi's still at the club as they beat Everton in the last minute. Uh, flop, says Chris Grove. Uh, Joe Hart, he's not the only one. Andrew says flop of the season, literally everybody involved in the signing of Joe Hart when Burnley already had not one but two better goalkeepers. To be fair, Andrew, were were injured for the first three months of the campaign. Asim Young-Thapa says Joe Hart has the most saves in the Premier League this season, but Jerome Grundy says, or oh, Jeremy Grundy, sorry, uh, says it's not about saves and mistakes, it's calmness, order and control in the defensive areas, and he suggests Joe Hart's negative impact on Burnley has been underestimated. Where does the truth lie? 
I don't think he's been terrible, but I don't think he's the best goalkeeper at Burnley. So Right, but when the other two were injured, he probably was the most... Uh, of course, yeah. yeah. I mean, we all know that Burnley aren't playing massively different to last season, but their defence has gone to pieces. It can't all be down to the goalkeeper, and yet... They change the goalkeeper against West Ham. They bring in Tom Heaton and immediately keep a clean sheet and win the match. So whether it's Hart's fault or not, it's not a good look for him. I see what you're saying. Other suggestions for flop of the season. Mark Braithwaite says, oh, it must be Fred at 52 million. Flop of the season, Michael. Uh, Jack Wilshere. I mean, I don't think many people would be shocked that he's missed half the season through injury, but this is a very talented player, someone who was going back to the club he supported as a boy. Seemingly, they they look set to, to build the team around him. I mean, he started the first couple of games as number 10, and they've improved since he's dropped out of the team. Um, and, you you know, you think if it doesn't work out for him at West Ham, what what's the future for Jack Wilshere? Which I think is quite... A shame because I think he's a very talented player and uh, I just don't think it's going to happen for him. Duncan? Uh, Fabian Delph, I think, has been pretty poor all year and has cost City on a couple of occasions and, you know, for their much vaunted depth of squad, right. it's not really showing up. It's quite a lot of players who played well for England at the World Cup, particularly defence and midfield, who, who haven't had a good season. I mean, Walker's been very poor. I uh, don't think Harry Maguire's been on the same level. Ashley Young struggled. Jordan Henderson's fallen out the side. Dyer. Pickford, of course. Dyer is another one. The forwards seem to have been immune to that, but there's a few who, you know, look as if they, well, they didn't get a great summer rest. OK, Martin Fenton says, flop of the season, a tie between Mark Hughes and Mourinho. Jonathan Murray, flop of the season so far can only be Jose. It'd be nice to not talk about him much in 2019, wouldn't it? <laughs> All right, uh, now... Still a long way to go in these seasons, and there's every chance for a lot of those flops, possibly not Jose, to uh, redeem themselves as the campaign gets underway in 2019. Uh, let's get the thoughts of Paddy Power in odd terms with producer Ben before we wrap things up for today. Thank you, Jim Bowen, for the last time in 2018. I say hello to Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, you've got a perforated eardrum, so we'll whisper this. How are you doing? Thank you very much. <laughs> All right. Um, much better news, of course, for Liverpool as we go into the second half of the season. They are now the favourites to win the league, but they have Man City to take on on Thursday, which is terrible timing for us in the podcast. Um, give us the uh, first goal scorer market here, and uh, I imagine you've got a money-back special coming up too. Yeah, we do indeed. Uh, interesting one, this one. City dominate the first goal scorer market. Aguero is the favourite ahead of Jesus, uh, Sterling and co. Firmino, who scored a hat-trick against Arsenal, is interesting. He's 8-1 to one to open the scoring. Uh, and City, perhaps quite surprisingly, are the clear favourites for the match as well at even money. Liverpool 12-5. to five. That's decent value for a team clear at the top of the league. As for the money back special, it's money back as a free bet of City win. Selected markets only. Pre-match singles only. Max free bet £10. TNCs apply. Okay, uh, we managed to give Spurs the uh, metaphorical kiss of death uh, on our previous show. Um, can they still finish second, however? Well, they, they they can mathematically, but to finish in the top two, the odds of them doing so is nine to two, which sounds fine until you compare that to City and Liverpool, who are one to twenty-five and one to ten. So we finish. We think Spurs will finish third this season. All right, uh, we've been speaking to JJ Bull on the show. I know you enjoyed that bit. Give us the odds, please, on Rangers winning the title over in Scotland. Yeah, the old firm are level on points, but then they're certainly not level in the betting. So it remain heavily odds on, one to five to win the league. Rangers are three to one. But that price has shortened a great deal. They were inspired on Saturday and rang rings around the hoops, who barely perspired. We still think Celtic will win the SPL, though. All right, and finally, a bit of cheer for the new year. Who's the first manager who's going to get sacked? <laughs> uh, whisper it, not just for my benefit, but Claude Puel was on the chopping block again. He's a favourite to go first in 2019 at 6-4, and there's been a huge surge of money on Rafa Benitez succeeding him. Interesting. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. All prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's 18 plus only. BeGambleAware.org, and when the fun stops, stop. What are your plans for New Year's Eve, Matt? Uh, very low wattage at, at Shady A tonight because largely of the presence of my infant son and the fact that I'll be oh, yeah. working tomorrow. Get a takeaway curry. I think probably what the plan is yes. is to watch a couple of episodes of The West Wing. And I'm at like, quite a crucial point. Obviously, it's years and years old, but we've only just started it. Right. Near the end of season one, right. and I'm a fan of people walking down corridors having discussions, but is it going to ramp up at any point? Cause it's like there's loads and loads of episodes and I'm sort of quite into it, but... 
I've not watched it. No, I've not no, watched I it. I only watch football. Mm. Okay. And World's Strongest Man. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course. And the train show. And the, yeah. And so, okay, what are your New Year's Eve plans? Are you going to be buying a pint at one minute two, Michael? Yeah, probably. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm working at Arsenal Fulham tomorrow, so it'll be quite, quite a quiet one. But, okay, uh, quiet yeah. one. I see. Duncan? I uh, just got some friends coming around, so I will be hosting. In, are you? Yeah. What are you going to be preparing for them? Stats. <laughs> yeah, raw stats. No, I'm making some lamb. So I f- fell off the vegetarian wagon. In, well, I was vegetarian for November, which was good. <laughs> okay. No, hamba, I called it. Um, and But yeah, so I've got to marinate some lamb in a bit. What are you doing, James? Uh, I will be going round to my friends Tom and Claire for dinner. Sounds nice. There'll be other people there as well. And they're, yeah, the people will say kind of clever things. <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> Like <events>. that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Um, yeah, it's going to be a tense evening for AC Jimbo. Uh, right. Excellent. And that's that. That's how 2018 is going to shut up shop. So I'm, I must say I'm looking forward to 2019. All sorts of good things to you, listener. Many thanks for being with us over the last 12 months, if indeed you were. Look forward to having your company over the next 12. End of the week. Look out for us. We should be there with the usual all-star cast. Many thanks for now and a happy new year to Michael Cox. Thank you, James. And to Matt Davis-Adams. Happy new year to you. And to Duncan Alexander. Thanks, James. We'll see you soon, listener. Have a good one. Cheerio. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com and don't forget to check out our other football podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand. Supporting your team can be a beautiful thing, but then come the injuries, the goal droughts and the downright disastrous defeats. That's a little bit like life, really. And here at the Totally Football Show, we believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the good days and the bad. And that's why we're continuing to work with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. On average, 12 men take their own life every day in the UK. So that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day. And part of the problem is that many of us still feel uncomfortable talking about mental health and suicide, and this can often stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it the most. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provide a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.